And I'm going to read only two verses. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 and 29. Luke chapter 9, verse 28 and verse number 29. The verses are familiar perhaps. It involves, they come from rather, that section of the scripture that tells us about the marvelous event of the transfiguration of our Lord. However, I'm not going to speak on that subject within itself, though in, uh, what a thrill it is to study this mountaintop experience of our Lord. Yet there's another truth that the Lord's laid on my heart for us to think about today. Let's pray together before we read verse 28 and 29. Father, anoint us with thy spirit. Guard us from any thought that should not be there. And Lord, thoughts that we have not yet considered that are needful. You look into the heart of people here. And Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And all we know when you're here, you always make a difference. So we ask that you'll move upon our hearts. May souls be awakened. May those who need Lord the Savior come to know you. And those who are saved that are drifting and walking contrary to thy word. Oh, may they realize the folly of it and come surrendering unto thee. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you on how to change your looks. How to change, why are you looking at the fellow next to you when I said that? How to change your looks. Look at this unusual statement in Luke 9 and verse 28 to 9 and it reads like this. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered or changed, and his raiment was white and glistering. You know, from the earliest history of man on this earth, Man has sought to change his looks. Odd as that sounds, yet he indeed tries to do it. Everywhere on whatever continent you go, you'll find the same truth prevails. Man changes or endeavors to change his looks in various unique and unusual ways to say the least. Primitive tribes in the jungles will be seen with a bone stuck through their nose or a bone through the lobe of their ear and maybe some weight tied to a woman's ear and it pulls way down to this length and nothing but a big hole in there. Not only do folks try to change it like that, but even among primitive, tri primitive tribes, you'll find sometimes uh, where men as well as women have taken a sharp instrument and cut across their faces and left nothing but a scar. And yet they endeavor, they do that, endeavoring uh, to change uh, their looks. Today in this audience, women wear earrings and some of the men have nose rings and uh, I won't say any more about that. And we try to change your looks by paint and I'm not opposed to that. A little paint helps an old barn to look better anytime, don't it, huh? But anyway, uh, hair pieces and toupees and wigs and uh, hairdos, plastic surgery, false eyelashes and 
And I even heard the other day about false lips. I don't know. The Bible talks about false lips. But yet, you know, what I'm trying to say is this. Man has forever been trying to change his looks. In fact, now, whether if you're feeling too comfortable, in fact, everybody in this audience today has tried to change your looks before you came to church. Ah, I'm glad of it too, aren't you? And aren't you glad that I changed my looks a little before I came? Ah, I look aside. I'll... <laughs> Listen, I look bad enough after having worked on it, you know. But uh, uh, if I'd have come here this morning uh, looking like I did when I got up at 5.30, man, I live the house and be half empty. But the truth is what I'm trying to say, and nothing wrong with it necessarily to a point. Nothing wrong with it. We all ought to want to look better and ought to try to look better if we can. Some of us just can't help it, Don. Ain't that right? And we just can't help ourselves. But the truth is... Uh, Man has tried to change his look. However, I read in the book of First Peter chapter 3, and verse 3 and 4, an interesting statement. And here Peter writes to some lady folks who had unsaved husbands, and they were undoubtedly attempting to win their husband through fixing up and painting up and looking a little better. But look in chapter 3 of 1 Peter at verse 3 and 4, and he said this, Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold or a putting on of apparel. Now the Lord not saying it's wrong to put on apparel or to put gold on or to fix up. He's not saying that at all. But he is simply saying this. Look at verse 4. But in contrast to that, here's the important point of emphasis. Let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So what we have here is the Lord's putting the emphasis more on the, what's on the inside than that that's on the outside. So in essence, he, what, what happened here in Luke's chapter 9 at the moment of the transfiguration, what happened in essence is this. God, who was clothed in human flesh, now at that moment when his glory was seen on the mount with John, James, and Peter, ah, that was God who was on the inside of that robe of flesh, manifested himself in great resplendent glory there on the mount. And you remember as a result of that, the Lord's voice was heard. The Father's voice was heard as Matthew tells us in chapter 17 and verse 5 in his account. He says that a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is saying, Look at him. Just look at him. Observe him. How wonderful. How beautiful is this Holy One in the sight of the Heavenly Father. And he puts his stamp of approval upon this outward transformation that took place there on the mount. So truly our only change as far as our looks is concerned that is pleasing to God the Father is the more Christ-like we become. 
the more of the Christ who lives within us that's seen outward. That's the beauty God looks for. Oh, listen, you can't fix up and paint up and, and shape up and put this on and that on. That'll gain God's attention. But the more you become like Jesus. And if you're saved, the inner man of the heart, this regenerate part of man that is evidenced on the outside, that indeed is that which pleases our heavenly Father. Now, the question is this. How can I change my looks? How can I? How can I change my looks? Well, let me call your attention back to verse 29 that we read from Luke chapter 9. And look at this very carefully. Luke chapter 9 and verse 29. And the, and the word says, watch this. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered or changed. Notice when it happened. When he was in prayer, there came about this glorious transformation of our blessed Lord. Now, have you often heard this statement? Prayer changes things. Do you believe that? I do. I believe that. Indeed, prayer does change things, and we know that. But also in the Bible, there's many an account where prayer indeed did change things. Remember when Abraham had gone down and it was down in the land of Abimelech in chapter 20 of the book of Genesis, and down at verse 17 of that chapter, the Bible says, here Abimelech had been smitten of God, and even the women in the land, their wombs were closed up, there could be no children born, and the Bible says that Abraham, Abraham prayed and God healed Abimelech. Ah, oh, things do change when folks pray. I think also of 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10. The woman named Hannah, you remember her? She had no child and she went up to pray at the temple and she is so intent in her praying that the priest thought she is drunk. And there she was, her lips were moving, but uh, they, they couldn't hear her saying a word. And she was praying out unto God, Lord, give me a child, give me a son. And if you will, Lord, I'll dedicate him to you. I'll give him into your hands for your service. And the Bible says, in essence, God heard her prayer. And I read in verse number 10, Hannah prayed unto the Lord. And the scripture says when she went away, she no longer had a sad countenance, but her countenance was changed to one of joy. What a change. What a change prayer wrought, even in the life of Hannah. I think of Jonah. You remember the disobedient prophet running from God out on the high seas, tossed to and fro, now swallowed by a, by a great fish? And Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God. You remember what happened? The fish vomited Jonah out on the dry land and he hit the sands of the shores of Nineveh in high gear and started proclaiming God's message. Repent, repent, he said. And so prayer does change things. And don't ever get to the place where the devil convinces you that God doesn't hear, hear and answer prayer and change things in life. I think one other in the book of Acts chapter 12. Remember this interesting story? Simon Peter was locked up in jail and the church met over at a house and they got down and started praying and they were praying, God, deliver our preacher. Let Simon Peter get out of jail. And while, hey, chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, mark it in your Bible. And while they were praying, the Bible said, Peter knocked at the door. Hey, prayer does change things, does it not? But here's what I want you to see. Prayer not only changes things, 
But prayer changes the person who prays. It'll change you. And that's exactly what you find here in the account of our blessed Lord as he was praying, the countenance, his face, his features were literally altered. They were actually, they were actually changed. Now there are three things I want to share with you and think with me carefully about them. First, I want you to think about the, the, the place of prayer. For it is through prayer that the change comes. The place of prayer. Think about the purity of prayer and if you will, the power of prayer. Three simple things. Now think with me. Look at the place of prayer back at verse 28. And the Bible says that he took, he took with him James and John and Simon Peter. Literally, the, the original word says that he took them beside himself. He took them beside himself. Can't you see that? Oh no, Jesus didn't run ahead of them and, and now holler at them and beg them to come on and he didn't get behind them and drive them with a whip, but he took them right beside himself. Matthew in his account says, he bringeth them to a mountain. Uh, Mark says, uh, he leadeth them up into a high mountain. So the idea in the word took here is uh, that he took, uh, took them to that place of great blessing and great change in their life. You know, the Lord has numerous ways of taking us to that point. Sickness sometimes takes us to that mountain of prayer. Great burdens of heart, distresses of life, failures in life. All of the tragedies that befall us, the Lord problems that come, the Lord has a way of just gently taking us. But here's the thing, he doesn't drive us to those places, he takes us along with himself. And I'm glad he goes with us, aren't you? Even when the heart is burdened, when there are problems there, the Lord doesn't say, hey, get on up there to that mountain boy and do some praying. No, he just said, come along with me, come along with me. And so he took them up. And notice this, he went up into a, a mountain, a mountain alone, the scripture says. The thought is they were up there isolated. They were taken away from all the hustle and bustle of the world. Matthew says in his account that he took them to a high mountain and adds this word, apart, apart. Mark says this, he leadeth them up into a high mountain apart and he adds this, by themselves. So the whole idea is that they are alone with the Savior up here on this great mount. Let me say this, listen to me. The true reality of prayer is known when you're alone. Not when you're with somebody. And it's wonderful to pray with brethren and sisters in the Lord. But all oh, the reality of real prayer is when you're there alone. Just you and Jesus. You see, you don't have anybody you can impress with your words. You don't have anybody impressed with the tone of your voice. You're just alone with him who knows everything about you. So our most genuine praying, I firmly believe, is when we're alone. Let me ask you then, if that be the case, how much genuine praying do we do? When you're alone, when you're alone, ah, oh, and the Lord often drives us and isolates us, puts us on an island by ourselves in order that we might draw near unto him. Ellie Maxwell wrote a book entitled Abandoned to Christ. And often we are abandoned to Christ. No one else around. No one else to turn to. No other source. And so he brings us that place alone that he might bless our heart. I love the song, Sweet Hour Prayer, Sweet Hour Prayer, that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne to make all my thoughts 
and wishes known. And so he calls us away from that world of care. So you remember this? It was when Jacob, Jacob, the old schemer, the cunning, conniving, con artist, Jacob, when he got alone with God over on Peniel, you know what happened to him? He was changed. He was changed. He left that place a different man. Oh yeah, physically, there's the mark of it. His hip was out of joint and he just hobbled along the rest of his life. And I think every time Jacob took a step and he was kind of walking like this and God had touched the hip thigh and is out of joint. I believe every time he took an old limp like that, I believe you'd hear old Jacob in his heart saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I met you over there at Peniel, and here it is. Reminded me of it. Reminded me of it. Oh, the place of being alone with God. That's where great business is taken care of. Ah, aloneness, isolated and separated from everybody else but him. All right, so you see the place of prayer alone. Let me ask you, folks. Do you have a place of prayer? you have a place you just steal away with God? Mamas, wives? Do you have a place to just get along with the Lord? Husbands, dads, do you have a place? Young people, teenagers, listen. Do you have a place you just gather alone, just you and the Lord? It's kind of a secret between you and him. And you just like to bow there and talk with him and share with him your heart burden. Oh, if you don't have a place, uh, don't let it have to be that the Lord through sickness or tragedy or financial failure or whatever, don't let it be that, that he has to take you that way before you'll ever get alone with him and let him touch your life. Now, let me just hurriedly, let me show you not only the place of prayer, but look here at the purity of prayer. The purity of prayer, verse 29 says, and as he prayed, that's Jesus, surely he never prayed a prayer that wasn't pure, that wasn't sincere, that wasn't honest, that was from the heart. That's our blessed Lord. Oh, how oftentimes our praying is far less than pure. How often our praying is nothing but a mere formality. We go through the words. Like a machine that clicks off, we go through our little rigmarole. We got our same little line. Ah, but real, pure prayer is not designed to impress somebody. Oh, God, forgive us. I think that nauseates God when I pray and in my praying to him, supposedly, down in my heart, I'm trying to impress somebody with how spiritual I am and so forth. Not only that, but pure prayer is not preaching. How often we preach in our praying. Oh, that's not prayer. Prayer is not telling God his business, but it's just bowing before him in humble submission to God, petitioning him, praising him, and so forth for all that he is and has. So real prayer, pure prayer, is absolute communion with God. It is just to be so absorbed in him, you're not so much aware of what's going on around you. And there, our Lord, alone on the mountain, nobody around but those three disciples, and now they were asleep. For when they woke up, they saw him in his glory. But he is alone there, and in that heart, communion with God, a glorious, glorious transformation. A change took place. Oh, have you ever liked me? Have you ever just said, oh God, I'm so tired of being the feller I am. I'm just so sick of being this kind of character. Oh, God, I want you to change my life. I want you to change my looks. I want you to change my demeanor in life. I want you to change my attitude of heart. I will tell you where it will take place. When you get alone with God. Listen, you can come to this church and hear me preach or anybody else preach. Nothing going to change you. 
You can listen to this beautiful choir of ours sing and the solos, the trio, all that's good. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to change you. The thing that will change is when you get alone with God. When you get alone with him and the heart is in real, honest communion with him, that's when the change. Now, should you ask me what pure prayer is, let me just, may I just run by this quickly, but hang on. I want you to get it it's so vital. I, let's just look at the word prayer and we'll make what is known as an acrostic out of the word prayer. And that means we'll just take each letter and I think it'll tell us something about what pure prayer is. Prayer is, number one, praise. No man can honestly pray who doesn't praise. Oh, when we come before him, our first words ought to be thanksgiving to him for all that he is, all that he's done. But real prayer is as well a partnership. It's a partnership. When you're in before God alone in prayer, you're joining hands with God. You're joining, touching God in a partnership, a communion, a fellowship. Ah, that's what prayer is. And how we can be a partner with God as we pray, not only here, not only for our life, our family, our children, our church, but all around this world, we can be a partner with God in prayer. Last night as our men gathered, God just dealt with me all day yesterday about how we're failing in our church to pray for our missionaries. All these who suffer loneliness and these who suffer privation and yet how little we are in prayer for them. But I can be a partner with Tony Stark in Uganda. I can be a partner with Brother Tika in the Philippines. I can be a partner with Brother Allen in Brazil. I can be a partner with these men if I will bow before God. Real prayer is partnership with God. It's just like a child reaching out to its father and taking the hand of his father. That's pure prayer. Not only is prayer praise and partnership, but indeed it includes petition. It's offering to God the things that trouble us, burden us, we're concerned about. But also I think prayer is a perception. In prayer there's gained a vision of God. Somehow we begin to see His glory. We begin to see who He is. And listen, in our hurry, scurry world, in our mixed up world, our stressed world, our high pressured society, few people take time enough to be alone and let their eyes perceive this God. Are you listening? Not only is prayer this, but prayer is recognizing His sovereignty. When I bow before God, I'm recognizing that He is the Almighty One. He is the sovereign Lord. I do not bow before him just as a friend. I bow him before, before him as a sovereign one. He is the king of the universe. He is the creator. And sometimes I fear we so flippantly, so thoughtlessly come into the presence of God in prayer. And I hear some who, some of these so-called television events and so forth, I get perturbed when I, I see such flippancy when it comes to the thought of God. Oh, yes, he is our father, but I never approach my earthly father like I've heard some approach the heavenly father. Again, then there's a recognition of his sovereignty, but prayer is also reliance upon his strength. It is saying when we come before God in purity, Lord, I'm weak. Not just saying it, but knowing it, feeling it, realizing it, honestly admitting it. It's not some phrase that we say, Lord, I'm weak and you're strong. But purity of prayer is recognizing his strength and at the same time seeing my weakness. But real prayer is not only recognizing his sovereignty and reliance upon his strength, but prayer is acknowledgement of my perversity.
that is my sin. Oh, dare we ever approach a holy God without asking his cleansing, without asking his forgiveness of our perverse lives, our twisted, our crooked, sinful lives. Ah, oh, it is then to acknowledge my perversity, but it is also to adore his person. And as well, it is to accept his plan. When I bow in pure, I'm talking about pure prayer. I'm not talking about a little form of words. I'm talking about when a fellow really gets in touch with God. It is indeed an acceptance of his plan. You see, real prayer is not trying to get God to join with you. It's not you trying to get God to change his plan so they'll fit yours. It's coming before him and saying, Lord, I accept your plan. Whatever you will is, Lord, I accept it. I wish every person in this audience could hear the dear black preacher, Dr. E.V. Hill, and his message that he preached at his dear wife's funeral. What a stirring message when Dr. Hill just simply said, the Lord kept saying to him, just trust me, Hill. Just trust me. He thought the Lord would heal his wife of cancer, but he didn't. She died. And yet again, the Lord said, trust me, Hill. Trust me. Oh, in other words, he's saying, Lord, not what I, not my choice, but I, I, I just accept your plan, your will, whatever it be, I accept that. That's the happy life. That's the blessed life when we are willing to say, God, if the circumstances I'm in and the condition I'm in, if this is your will for me, whereby I can glorify your name, your will, Lord, your plan, not mine. And that's what Jesus prayed. And now, Father, he said, glorify me. But oh, he said, no, but glorify thyself in me. Can you really pray that? It may be through suffering, trial, turmoil, adversity. It may be through a, 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 a dream that's fallen through. And yet are you willing to say, Lord, glorify your name in me. If this is the way you choose, God, I accept it as your plan. Prayer is as well yielding of my will. It's yielding, saying, yes, Lord, your way, not mine. And not only that, prayer, real prayer. Now get this, is yearning for his way. Look up here at me. Do you really have a yearning in your heart for God's way? Or is it just some kind of little surface, shallow kind of thing? Do you find yourself really yearning in your heart, said, Lord, your way. I long for it. I yearn for it. My heart burns for your will. No, some of us got our own plans. Some of us got our own will. Some of us got our own way. And yet, the real praying is yearning. For his will, yearning for his way to be accomplished in our life. Prayer as well, let me say finally, prayer is evidence of salvation. It's evidence of salvation. Got the scripture of that? Yeah. You remember when Saul of Tarsus got saved on the road to Damascus? And all the churches scared to death that fella. Why they said, this is a guy that's been hailing men in prison and killing folks right and left. Those who followed this name Jesus in Jerusalem, why, he's the same fella. And the Lord's servant said, don't you worry about him. Behold, when you find him, behold, he prayeth. One of the great, he was first breathing out threatenings, cursings, violence. One of the great evidences of Saul's conversion was he prayed. Have you, do you pray enough if you was called up in court to prove you as a Christian by prayer? Could you be convicted of being a Christian? 
yet evidence of salvation, prayer. It's talking to God. It's as natural for a born-again child of God to talk to the Father as it is for a little child to want to talk. He wants to communicate. And that's, what, that's the heart of the same man and woman. It draws out to God. It's evidence of salvation, not of that. But pure prayer is evidence of sincerity. Let me ask you something. Are we really sincere when we pray? Are we really sincere when we say, Lord, whatever you want, you do it. Your will, not mine. Your, whatever condition you want me in, God, that's your business. Wherever you want me, whatever kind of car I drive, what kind of clothes I wear, what kind of house I live in, God, your will, your will. Oh, are we really sincere? But pure prayer is evidence of sincerity. If we really have a burden of heart, like oftentimes we claim to have, I want to tell you, it'll be evidence in the sincerity in our prayer life. Not all that, but prayer is experiencing his strength. And as well, it's experiencing his supply. But let me say this. And I said, finally, here's the last letter in the word prayer. It is indeed prayer is releasing his power. It is the releasing of God's power in life. You know the reason we have such powerless Christians and powerless churches and powerless preachers? We are prayerless people. We have prayerless churches. We have prayerless preachers. Oh, God, forgive us for failing. We want, we want power. And we dream of, we want God to move. But I'll tell you how God moves. It's through prayer. It's through prayer. And it come, when it comes that way, we realize what the thing I did anyhow. It was God. David Brainerd, when he is ministering as a missionary to the Indians, couldn't even speak their language. You know what David Brainerd did? He prayed. He prayed. And as he prayed and agonized, walking for hour upon hour through the woods of, of, of the Indian country, he was praying, God, God, give me these souls. And one after the other, strangely, oddly enough, they were drawn to David Brainerd. He carried a burden on his heart. And God gave him the souls of Indians upon top of Indians. What I'm saying is simply this. Prayer releases God's power. John Hyde went to the country of India. And there for days, for years, for several months rather, and on into, I think, a couple of years, John Hyde and his little band of missionaries go out and preach to no avail, to no, to, to no avail. Didn't have one convert. And God began to move on John Hyde's heart, and he began to pray. And they said John Hyde was such a man of prayer that literally his knees began to look like camel's knees. He stayed on them so much. And they tagged him with the name Pray and Hide. But when Pray and Hide, through prayer, released the power of God in India, literally teeming thousands of men and women were brought to Jesus Christ. We can do no more than pray until we have prayed sincerely. But after we have prayed, we can do more than pray. We can proclaim, we can preach, we can be successful in our life as a child of God. Then not only is prayer releasing his power, but it's realizing my potential. No Christian will ever know his potential for God until he knows what it means to pray. You see, there's something about being in touch with God that lights the spark of creativeness in the soul of the man or woman who prays. Somehow the pipes are cleared. Somehow the cobwebs are swept out in prayer as you visit with God and as this holy power moves in your life. Oh, it brings a creativeness. Some of the greatest geniuses in the art world, the music world, the world of literature that man has ever known have been men 
whose creativeness was touched as they prayed. Years ago, I was in Monroe, Louisiana. I went down to an old fellow's garage that the pastor told me about. I may have told you this before, I don't remember. But we went down this fellow's garage, and he had built an engine, had a 350 Chevrolet engine that would run, get this, off of air. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have one? I would do. But he made off air and had patents all around the world and about, uh, just a whole uh, tribe of lawyers taking care of this, that, and the other. Uh, General Motors had come down. You don't see it on the market, and I guarantee you probably never will because, uh, I mean, that hurt the oil companies, wouldn't it? But nonetheless, had that thing working off air, 350 engine. And he had a lawnmower, and then he had a little four-cylinder uh, foreign car that uh, was, uh, was powered from air. And I got talking to this fella, and I said, I want to know something. Tell me how in the world this came to He said, I want to tell you this, sir. He didn't even know I was a preacher. He said, God gave me this. I said, what do you mean? He said, the thought came to me, and he said, I began to pray. And he said, I got along here, and I finally got to this stage of the development. We could get the air in, but couldn't get it out. And he said, two fellows up in Pennsylvania had the same idea, and yet said, when they started in, the air couldn't get out uh, sufficiently, and the engine exploded, killed both of them. And he said, I knew there was a danger point. So he said, uh, he said you see that right there? And he pointed toward the middle of that old greasy garage floor. He said, I spent many an hour right there on my face. And he said, you know how I learned the secret? He said, one day after a long time of prayer, he said, the Lord seemed to say, look up there on the wall. And he said, I looked up there on the wall. And he said, I'm not lying. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to impress you, sir. He said, I saw as clear as day the outline and the drawing of that engine and what it'd take to perfect it. And he said, I want you to know, I give God, the Lord Jesus Christ, all the credit for what I've been able to accomplish. What I'm trying to get across to you is, when a man gets alone with God, God can spark the creativeness in him. And none of us, listen folks, none of us here this morning will ever know the potential God has in us and you have in your life until you really get in touch with God. Until we get alone with him. I believe that aloneness with God and that real purity of prayer make a better student out of a young man or woman. I believe it make a better worker. I believe it make a better husband, better wife, better children, better sweetheart, better fiance. I tell you, it'll just change. And that's what happened in Jesus here. When he prayed, he was changed. And I've got to close now. You've been so kind. But let me give you this. The power of prayer. You see, it is through the purity of prayer that we experience the power of prayer. It is through the purity of prayer, this kind of praying I've just been talking about, it is through that purity of prayer that we experience the power of prayer. No one, no one has ever truly prayed and not been changed. As far as that goes, no man has ever been in the presence of God and not experienced a change. Now I want to tell you today, if you want to change your looks, if you want to change your life, you get in touch with God, 
You take time to get along with him. I know what, the devil's trying to keep you so busy you haven't got time. And the reason some of us are having trouble in our family life, in our married life, our, our, on our job and in our lives particularly, we don't have any time for God. We're busy, busy, busy. And the Lord, I believe, is just putting his arm around us like he must have Peter, James, and John said, boys, come on with me. I'll walk with you. Let's go up here on the mountain. Let's go up here on the mountain so there can come a change, so you can understand what it takes for change to occur. So when a change occurs, you know what will happen? Your face will reflect it. You know that? It'll happen every time. You ever seen this? A, a loved one comes in, you know them pretty well. You can tell just like that. They're down, they're depressed, they're discouraged, they're sad. Something is lacking. Now, you may not tell you what it is, but listen, I look at people and I study people's faces. I study your faces. I can tell a whole lot about you while I preach. Some of y'all think I don't know what's going on, don't you? But I, listen, I eyeball you. And you look at me too. And I got better things to look at than you have. But nonetheless, uh, here, the face, the face will portray that that's on the inside. Uh, as well, when there is trust, and faith, and when there is peace in the heart, it'll be seen on the face. You ever seen somebody, and you can tell, just look at them, they're worried to death. You ever seen somebody? They're afraid. Their fear is possessing them. But listen, when, a, and when the change comes on the inside, instead of being fear and fretting and worry and anxiety, somehow it, the face just reflects it. You agree? Huh? Not yet. Somebody done nodded 30 minutes ago one direction. That's all. Uh, do it both. So what I'm trying to get you to see, folks, is a secret. And that is, if you want to change your life, your looks, everything, this is the way to do it. You remember when Cain sinned against God? And when the Lord came to him, you remember what he said to him? Cain, why is thy countenance fallen? He no longer had the smile. He no longer had a radiance about him. It was evident that something had gone wrong in Cain's life. I used to come in as a boy, and if I'd snitch one of mama's cookies or get a piece of the pie that I wasn't supposed to, listen, I didn't have to say a word. Nobody had to tell her. She'd just look at me and she'd say, you got one of them cookies, didn't you, boy? I said, how do you know that? She'd I can tell by looking at you. I see some folk come in church, and I can tell y'all been in the cookie jar too. The fact is the face is the reflection of the soul. It shows on the outside what's on the inside. Hannah, I mentioned a moment ago, prayed in the temple for that child. And the Bible said down at verse 18 of 1 Samuel 1, So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. She's a sad-looking woman. Why? She didn't have a child, and all her heart was burdened and longing, and now she prayed, and God heard her. She got alone with God, and she left with a different look. I think of Acts chapter 6. You remember Stephen who was brought up before the council? And there as he stood being accused falsely of those wicked religionists. And here's what the Bible said, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Can you imagine that? Here's a guy about to be hung. Here's a guy who's being lied about and accused falsely. They look over there and say, man, alive, you ever seen a face like that? 
You ever seen any radiance like that? Looked like the face of an angel. I think of Saul of Tarsus, the chains that came in his life. Acts chapter 9, breathing out threatenings, hailing men and women of prison, blaspheming the very name of Jesus Christ. And yet as he rode that old donkey or whatever, he rode that beast down to Damascus. Now he's those on his way. God arrested him. And said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul said, who art thou, sir? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And listen to this prayer. Lord, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus said, I'm Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. I'm Jesus. And Saul said, Lord. Ladies, the trio singers, some call him what? Jesus. But I call him Lord. Oh, he said, Lord, what will you have me do? You know what happened as a result? Here's a changed man altogether. He's a different man. And I mentioned a moment ago, they said, hey, he's, he, he, he can't be trusted. They said, hey, behold, he prayeth. He's down there praying. God just overhauled his life. He's a different fella. Instead of a look of hatred and despite and, 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 and viciousness, Saul of Tarsus has a change. Not only that, but think of Moses. When he came down off the mount, remember what the Bible said about him? He didn't know it, the scripture said, but his face shone. You know what? He'd been up there with God. No man can be with God and ever act the same. And I'll tell you this, ever look the same. His life will never be the same if he's been in true, pure contact with a holy God. I think of those disciples, tall, sniveling, trembling, fearful, weak. They'd been threatened. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the Bible said they called a prayer meeting. You know what happened? Here's what the verse says, Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Here were timid men and women. Here were folks who were so embarrassed they ever talk about Jesus. And now as God through prayer touches their lives, man, what a change. They'd say to that timid fellow, man, a lot of you see that guy, he just went up there and buttonhole that fellow and ask him about if he's saved or not. Why, he went out there knocking on doors all up and down the county, asking folks to come to church. And you know, you never used to hear him say anything about Jesus to his compatriots, but now that's all he talks about. What's happened to him? He's changed. Hey, folks, I don't think it hurt every one of us, I'm talking to me, in this church, to have a change. That change will come when we individually, alone, get away with God. I've got to wind this up now. I've got two folks to baptize here in a minute. Y'all thought you'd getting out, didn't you? You say, I ain't coming back tonight. I ain't either. So we both even. And uh, <laughs> I hope you'll be back. There's an old publican who stood up in the temple. There's another man, a Pharisee who tried to go through the motions of prayer, but his praying wasn't pure prayer. He bragged and boasted. Watch this now. And the Lord didn't even turn his ear toward him. 
The Pharisee went out of the temple that day, the same old man that he was when he came. But a publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Pure prayer, sincere. He got hold of God. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He wasn't bragging about anything. He saw himself a sinner. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He came in a sinner, but he went out a saint. He came in the temple that day burdened, but he went out light. He came in miserable, but he went out with joy. He came in condemned, but he went out justified. What a change through a simple, honest prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let me ask you, folks. Have you prayed that simple prayer in your heart? Has there been a sincerity about the fact you knew you were a sinner, lost, hell-deserving, condemned by reason? He said, have you ever in pure prayer just fallen before God? Lord, oh, Lord, I'm just a sinner. Have mercy on me. God will change your looks. He'll change your life. Charlie, I've seen many a man, thank me to God, hundreds of them through the years, bow at an old altar and hear them pray, God, save me. And see them get up and they just new people. They're new. Their face is new. Same old ugly shape, but there's just something about them that's brand new. Dear man, I led to Christ in the rescue mission. Jack Mississippi got up on his knees and said, Preacher. And he said, Everybody, everything looks different. Well, he said, You even look different. He said, I thought you was the ugliest fellow I ever saw. But he said, I declare, you even look good, Preacher. And he said, Thank God I ain't drunk either. He said, I, Something's happened to me. And I said, Boy, you're right. Something happened. Jesus, when you ask him, come in, came in your heart. He'll change you, sir. Mothers and dads, husbands, listen, he'll change your home. When you really get down to business, get alone with God. Mother and dad, he can change it. Young people, he can change your life. He can change your life. He can change expression. He can change your commitment. He can change everything about you. All that would be pure in our praying. Let's stand on our feet, please. Dear Father, We hadn't endeavored to preach a sermon today. But we wanted to give our folks a message. And in the giving of that message, Lord, you have, you have given me the message. You've spoken to my heart. God, how we need to be changed. How our faces that the world sees day after day needs a change. They need to see something of reality in us. They need to see something of real joy in our hearts, not giddiness, but joy. A settled security and peace. Oh, Jesus, somebody here today is not saved. Touch that life. Some home here today struggling in their relationships. May, Lord, they just hear you saying, come along with me now and let's go up on the mountain. Let's get alone. Oh, may we not be so hurried that we don't have time to get alone with you. 
Jesus, help us now. Save those here that are lost, those who need to unite with our church by letter, by statement, or for baptism. May they come. Those who have been saved that need to come, acknowledging their trust in Christ and submitting themselves to baptism, may they come for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing it. Just as I am without a plea, but that his blood was shed for me. Are you here? Do you need a change? You're tired of the old humdrum? He'll change you. Come to him. Let's sing the stanza. If you need to come uniting with our church, promise of letter statement, or you need to come to trust Jesus as your Savior, oh, that you'd come. If you're here, you're a Christian, but you've just, man, you just drifted so far away from God. Why don't you come today and bow at this old altar and commit your life afresh to him. Let's sing it together and you come right now. in some of our lives, he's choking you to death. What potential you have for God if you just get alone with him and let him touch you. Just let him clean you out. We see, the devil's choking you to death, keep you from bearing fruit. Let him touch your life. I will tell you this, don't be afraid of letting him touch you. <laughs> when he touched men, listen, no, no, no record anywhere in the scripture that men were regretting that he touched them. Nowhere. They went away rejoicing, rejoicing that the Lord had touched their life. Let's sing one more stanza. And as we sing it, you come on, will you? Do it now. Come on while we sing it. You're going to have to come alone with him. Come alone. Can clear. 